Are you ready to get the kill done? Welcome to Akashna Podcast Anime with Friends. I'm Sabrina Ray, and with me, my childhood bestie, buried under four feet of snow. Oh, heavens! Don Munson. Don, can you even. How are you podcasting from within a snowdrift? Well, thankfully, unlike Texas, <laughs> we have not lost our power here in the northern climes. So uh, the, the airwaves are still coming through loud and clear, and uh, you and I are able to continue our grand tradition of podcasting late into the evening yes well tonight is a very special night because uh these are two fantastic episodes uh the second one in particular oh no i'm sorry i should redo that yeah well tonight is a very special night because we're going to be talking about episode 7 megahertz is that how that's pronounced i think so yes i'm gonna say it is um but before we get into that i just want to say that i am i just finished watching two movies this weekend i saw promising young woman and the kid detective now you i'm very jealous because i have long desired to watch promising young woman and have yet to do so I mean, you could have, because it's been, it's been out for a while, it feels like, uh, and it's been available, I mean, you have to pay like the 20 bucks to right. see so, it. Right, so, and I confess to some irrationality, I already pay a fair amount for all sorts of different streaming services, and it, I'm confident that at a certain point here, Promising Young Woman would become available on one of them, um, and therefore I resist paying that, um, that $20 for the, the early access. So I wait and lurk and s- search my digital devices just, just for the opportunity when it finally becomes free for me. Well, I would say that you chose wisely in this case, because although I did enjoy the movie, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, I appreciated what they were doing in the movie and the performance of Carrie Mulligan as... not She's not even the titular promising young woman exactly, but... Um, as Cassie in the film is is just a it's a very interesting performance because like she gets to play sort of soft and effeminate at times and she gets to play like this like hardball like broken woman at times and uh, she straddles that line kind of brilliantly throughout um, she's especially good at taking down people verbally undressing them and uh, sort of like exposing all of their raw nerves and pouring hot boiling water on them metaphorically what i didn't realize is that the movie really doesn't go there like non-metaphorically this is when i saw the trailer i assumed there was going to be a lot of like serial killing and there is not so um and i won't spoil anything because there may be towards the end but like you'll see within like five minutes that it's playing a little bit of a bait and switch with the audience expectations. And actually it does that throughout and it's very good at it. So um, that's, and I can't talk any more about it without giving away so the, well, any of its secrets. It was a favorite, um, of Sundance that year, at least of the friends of mine who saw it. And since we've last talked, I would confess that I have watched the last Sundance movie 
street there's a Sundance Film Festival happened uh, although uh, I did not go there and didn't go to Park City because we're in the middle of a pandemic but instead Sundance actually streamed its movies online and you were able to buy a ticket I figured uh, and see them yeah and so I ended up seeing about 20 movies uh, over the course of five days or so um and I saw some detail. some real really interesting ones. I, I can the big winner at the festival this year was called Coda, uh, which stands for Children of Deaf Adults, um, which was very good, and I strongly recommend it. There's a couple others that I watched. Um, one of them is the Sparks Brothers, uh, which I think you would appreciate. It's about is that the is that the documentary? It is a documentary. A very good documentary about this group, Sparks, um, which has been around for ages and does very interesting music. And I personally had never heard of them before. Um, I hadn't either until Edgar Wright started like singing their praises to the moon. And I think he directed that. Uh, quite possible. I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know that it is, uh, it's one to watch. It was, it was very good. Um, there were a number of very good movies uh, that I saw. Um, the, but the reason that I bring it back to that is there are certain aspects of Sundance movies that um, sort of make them Sundance movies in the sense of like a, a really good Sundance movie may receive at best sort of mediocre wide release and you see some things at Sundance that you simply just don't see anywhere else and sometimes they're never released in any other context like you're like oh what about this movie and then you go and find out you're like you can't get that movie anywhere it's just not <laughs> Like, no one bothered to do anything with it. Or there's movies that we've seen there, and then the audience has hated them mm -hmm. so much that, like, there was no cut. I think there was a movie like Red Lights, where, in fact, it was released, but the release was different than the premiere because people hated the premiere so much that the uh, director changed the ending. We've actually discussed that movie on this show, and what's so funny to me is that it every three episodes we somehow come back to Sundance and I think that's me like dragging it back there no, no, no. I drag it back it's there one of, like, I love the... it and I keep dragging it back there it's... because it's the only bit of culture <laughs> that I can bring to the table and feel like yeah I'm really you know ooh I saw something and I can share it with everybody but think about it from the audience perspective. They're like, it's almost like um, the Catalina wine mixer in Step Brothers that everyone's like Oh yeah, it's the fucking Catalina wine mixer, man. It's the fucking Catalina wine mixer. You don't, you know, it's like the event of the year and like people keep talking about it like it's this crazy thing and then you see it finally at the end of the movie. So am I saying that the credits were about to roll here or what? I, I think you're saying I need to shut up about Sundance, which is fair, but to my credit, Sundance literally just happened. So I should be able to talk about it. Yes, and to your credit... I am discussing a movie that's a year old from Sunday. Yes, yes, you are. So, <laughs> so you, you did open up yeah. the gates, and I uh, I ran right through them. I did. Um, the only other thing I've been doing is playing a game called Control, which has been... Uh, I'm replaying it, actually, on PS5, because it's sort of, like, enhanced. And they give you the DLC for free, but you can't just bring your save over from the PS4 version... Anyway, the, 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 the elevator pitch of the game is that it's like an art deco David Lynch's uh, X-Files. Like, 
it's very confusing at first, but just like Max Payne, it sort of builds on these these sort of wild ideas that push the limits of of how video game stories work. Um, it's it's just a very disorienting world, even where you're not sure if you're in a building or in some kind of otherly space. And then as the as the clues start coming together, and you meet a guy who has to stare at a refrigerator for hours on end, things start to get like to their fever point. Anyway, this kind of goes and blends nicely into our episode because this is this is one of the first episodes we've had where we're not getting introduced to a new uh, character who will interact with the little slugger. We're sort of catching up with the story of the detectives and cleaning up the sort of like um, following the arrest of Kozuka they're just sort of tying up loose ends and the, the and Maniwa is starting to piece together everything he can from uh, from Kozuka's story and trying to see what's missing and what uh, in what ways they could they can um, resolve the inconsistencies in the two versions that they've heard where in one Kozuka the one they they originally believed that Kozuka was the was was behind all of the attacks or most of the attacks turns out not to be true instead we find out that Kozuka was only uh, involved in some of the attacks so the episode starts um, with Tsukiko sort of uh, sleeping and we hear that there's an injured person at the hospital and Chief Ikari uh, leaves Maniwa with Tsukiko and he goes and we're treated to these scenes of like a room stocked to the ceiling with like piled high with tech like shortwave radios and, and monitors and, and lots of like surveillance equipment it looks like or broadcast equipment I'm not sure which and um, and that's totally disconnected from the rest of the story, but it it keeps coming back throughout the episode. And I don't know about you, but it sort of felt like um, the more we saw of that, the more it started feeling like these broadcasts were suggesting something about the way that uh, the technology, that this whisper has sort of been like um, underneath everything we've been watching this whole time, that like... <clears throat> It's almost like everything is signals and numbers and, you know, you break down communication into, you break down communication into, like, into its base components and it becomes noise. It becomes noises that we, we sort of pile on top of each other that, that kind of uh, present a, an argument or a, a version of reality you know, but underneath our everyday life, the, the things that bring my voice to you, the things that bring uh, all this information into our homes, it's a constant, like, stream of consciousness and and people's voices, you know what I mean? So, I don't know how you felt about it, but the, to me, that's sort of what that image conjured for me, and and I'm not even sure how real it is, because by the end of the episode, we see that it's Maniwa in that room on that radio. And there was no indication, I think, 
I think that's fair to say that there was no indication that it was him uh, previous to that. Um, but I thought that it was happening. I thought it was happening concurrently. Uh, I don't know whether this is another kind of psychological space that we're inhabiting, where we're seeing his process and how he's kind of going crazy um, as he starts to see the pattern between these uh, attacks. So I, that was my interpretation, which was that the the undercurrent or the the, the background noise that's whispering um, um, Lil Slugger's name, or you know this this it's all sort of a build up in his own psyche, um, and then. It, it's so he's constantly on the lookout for who's on the verge of a breakdown and it becomes very obvious very early on that he is going to be someone who looks like he's about to have a breakdown um yeah it almost seems like he's he's gonna set up a sting operation yeah he does seem like he's gonna do that and in some ways he does that right right like what's <laughs> what is very unclear to me is that you know he he comes out with his paranoid fantasies about the fact that um little slugger shonen bat is in um two places at one time uh and he can he is constantly targeting people who are under a great deal of pressure and you know he says all this to ikari and ikari hands him a, a vacation you know a vacation form like it's time you took a break and yeah. i don't think it was a voluntary break it was a go take your two weeks or you know check in your badge and there was a very short period of time you know he's still he clearly can't let go this is near the end of the episode he can't let go of it um and he then somehow gets he he makes a phone call saying you've got to believe me this last time you know like this is it you must i'm essentially calling in my all my chits you got to do this for yeah. me um and ikari does show up right he he and weirdly where they're stalking is in the stairwell of the police station right yeah that part was confusing at the first because i thought that they were at the kid's apartment or or somewhere else i didn't but, know where they were at least they are in the police right. station. So I'm trying to imagine how this gets set up. Like Maniwa calls like he's already explained his pet theory to Ikari. He's said that we're dealing with something not normal. That little right. struggle. And he's been seeing signs. Yeah. He he saw this old man, and it's an old man we've seen multiple times that we were referring to as the seer. He's the same one who delivers the episode Coda uh, yep. that teases the next episode. Um, he saw him and he doubled. And he also saw his eggs. And he had, I forget what that's called, but he had sort of like the twin uh, yolks inside his one egg. And he takes that as a sign as well. So really he's just, he's being inundated by signs that he thinks he sees, but... It's possible he was just seeing double <laughs> because the stress has gotten to him 
And it's also possible that he's just seeing patterns where there are no patterns, which is one type of paranoia. I would say that's almost the foundation of paranoia. Yeah, being overly is overly willing to right. misinterpret completely. Um, I love the way you said that. Yes, banal s- sentiments. Okay, so, but then they're going back to they're they're going to Kozuka's cell. How and this is. This is not explained, and I find its lack of frustration to be frustrating. Um, (laughs) Why is it they are, you know, essentially entering that floor and that cell as if they know already that something is there? I'm not sure what your question means. Are you saying that they entered the cell knowing something was off? Well, they they entered the floor. I mean, when when they got to the floor, they saw Little Slugger. And he was in his gold skates, and he had his golden bat, and he looked like Kozuka. Absolutely. And then when they try to confront him, things get even more fucked, and Little Slugger goes goes slip-sliding away right, right through the wall. through the what looks like a concrete wall. And Now, are we seeing reality as they're seeing it, or is this the version of reality that those police officers are gossiping about later? So, great question, because I had interpreted this as our first fundamental um, evidence. Confirmation. Yes, confirmation that we are dealing with something that is not just the figment of people's imaginations. That's how I interpreted it as well, especially the first time I watched it. Although I did want to pay lip service to the possibility. That, no, I think I, I, I uh, want to go down that road gossip plays. the way that you did. But, I, you know, this is the moment for me where shit got real. Um, Definitely. And not only that, but we actually have our first death associated with um, Little Slugger. So Kosaka is killed, and that's the first death we've seen. That's the weird thing, is Kosaka's killed, and and Little Slugger hasn't killed before. And, and although Kosaka was penned in, and uh, he was definitely... He definitely met the criteria for people who would call upon little slugger to set them free um death does seem a bit extreme as far as the mo goes yeah this because you're what we have seen in the past is that you're looking for a break and that or you're looking for a you know an outside influence into a situation which relieves the pressure for someone it takes takes the focus off that individual in whatever circumstance they're in and they're that certainly doesn't describe kozuka at this time like this does not (laughs) this does not relieve kozuka of anything except his life um does it relieve maniwa of anything no actually it makes things worse for maniwa because it looks like he's right first of all little slugger is some sort of supernatural agent and it confirms his suspicions without giving him or Ikari any concrete yes. ability to prove that that is the situation, resulting in yeah. their disgrace and expulsion from the police force. There seems to have been a lapse in responsibility or in uh, in procedure. Um, and, and, and frankly... Neither of them are behaving very professionally at this point in their investigation either. I mean, we talked about 
Chief Ikari losing his shit in previous episodes, but here he's just physically berating the kid. He could have driven him to suicide, honestly. Yeah, he was very cruel in this episode, I felt. I, You know, my feeling was, was kind of like, oh, you know, give the guy a break. Like, yeah, he may... You may be right, and he may be full of crap, but the way you're treating him is not likely to win your case here. So Kozuka, um, he's the copycat, we now know. Uh, And he only killed, he only attacked two people. He attacked Ushiyama, and he attacked the cop. So now I want you to reassemble the timeline for me. Who attacked who? Or no, did he attack Kawazu as well? He might, I think he attacked Kawazu. Is I that right? I think so. Um, I think that's the other one he attacked. So he saw... He saw Tsukiko being pursued by Kawazu, the reporter. And he hit him. So that was a physical, real attack. And he had seen the news, so he knew how to cloak himself in the cool imagery of the little slugger. Then after that, he hit Ushiyama, but he didn't hit the boy. He didn't hit Yuichi. He didn't hit Yuichi. So that means Yuichi hit himself. No, did he? To try to get out of... Or Yuichi was hit by the the supernatural version. Right. I think that's... We don't... We don't know who Yuichi. We do believe that he hit Ushiyama. He also didn't hit Harumi. I thought he did hit Harumi. He claims to have originally, and then I believe he recants his story and says that he only attacked Ushiyama and the reporter. Unless he was saying, like, of the people you're blaming me right now... Those are the only two I attacked. I may have misconstrued that. Anyway, those two cops, the two police detectives, are at their wits' end. You know, you can see that Chief Ikari is smoking his cigarettes now regularly. Mm-hmm. He's no longer trying to stop. That's right. And Maniwa is obviously losing his shit. I want to talk a bit about his dream, because... Speaking of copycats, I mean, this is right out of David Lynch's playbook here, uh, using dream dreams to represent the way that a detective works through the clues without consciously doing so. So we've seen Maniwa do this before, but here we get really, really strange imagery. Not just the old man doing tricks on a stage where he goes through a brick wall, which we'll then later we'll see again with Little Slugger going through the wall, but also um, we see him double himself, and we also see the two of them having dinner in the middle of the road. (laughs) A lot of that just seems very Black Lodge, White Lodge stuff to me, you know, from Twin Peaks. So, you know, Agent Cooper was very much sort of like, uh, he was a detective, but rather than sort of like, sit in front of an open file and like comb through the clues he would put pictures up on two different things and then use like a some kind of like some kind of game of luck to figure out to to allow the universe to help him pick which one and if you were to talk to him about his technique he'd probably say something like 
subconsciously, I already knew which one, so I threw the knife closer to the one where I I knew uh, I knew on some level that that person was guilty. Like that's the kind of like mind stuff that's going on with Kozuka in my opinion but I really did like the way it was represented and and if you're gonna if you're gonna lift from anyone uh David Lynch and Twin Peaks is a very good template for this kind of storytelling where you're mixing the mystical with the more grounded police work (laughs) what did you think when the old man split in two and then the whole audience was the old man yeah that I started chanting Malkovich in my head I mean I didn't know what to think, and it was really, it was, um, I think it it's the kind of thing where if we go back and rewatch it, what do we get? I mean, you've done that. I agree with you on the Lynchian bit, and I, I will make a, a sad confession. I have not watched anything, uh, really, of David Lynch, except, I believe, a couple of his movies. And, of course, it's all very heavily symbolic and super weird. Um, but I did not watch Twin Peaks. Um, I did not watch uh, the, the the series, and I was not as wrapped up in them as you and some of our other friends. <laughs> we we know. I know you know. Um, but this is this is this is the tricky part. Is are they just throwing images out there hilly nilly and seeing what sticks, or is there an an intention to everything we see? I feel like we've got half and half on that one. Like, I don't know that the the sitting down to the table and, and some of the other imagery was really a home run as far as metaphor goes. Yeah, no. I, I didn't... The illusion worked for me, the theater bit worked for me. Well, but I didn't me, feel but, like... Yeah. What, I, what I want with that kind of imagery and symbolism is that we connect it back to the larger narrative. And I don't feel like we're getting there, or I don't feel like we got there, you know? Right. That's the, that's the challenge here. The other thing we get in this episode that I wanted to talk about briefly was this part where we see... We, they, they check in on Hirokawa and his daughter, and his daughter has that sort of dopey, contented almost very creepy smile uh, that just it feels like she's an empty vessel on her face like she has that smile on her face and she feels very silent staring and empty and Hirokawa has become a sad just not even a sad just a a kind of like funhouse mirror version of that like he's just a reflection of his daughter's emptiness now and uh, he doesn't say anything he just sort of sits there and stares exactly as she does. And it's not very... Um, he, he seems totally broken. Uh, and in fact, I think in the latter part of the episode, when uh, Money was going around trying to sort of solidify his theory, he talks again to him and, and he's, he is unable to do... or. Hirokawa is unable to do anything except sort of wail and cry. Um, he's like, I, I, I wonder if we're even going to see him do anything else in the series because he looks just totally lost. Yeah. And, and this is sort of our, our pivot point in the series where we've, 
we've now identified sort of like we've now been with these we've now caught up with the the various victims um and we've sort of come to the point where we're gonna start kind of not a new chapter exactly but we're gonna tell the story from a different angle now because we've kind of done everything we can with this idea that this guy is out there skating around hitting people in the head with stuff um so next episode is one of my favorite in the series and i can't wait to talk about it next week so i hope everyone will come back for that yeah well i'm i'm glad that uh you're so anxious because i am i'm i'm gonna need some hand holding on that one i don't i don't i don't quite know where to (laughs) go everyone can look forward to that uh i will definitely be talking a lot in that episode uh don any final episode finding final thoughts on megahertz there wasn't a whole lot here but what i i thought it was a pretty significant episode i mean it it had the very critical moment to me of of unmasking little slugger or shonen bat as being supernatural um that i think it's hard to interpret that as anything else except as you were pointing out like is this just um money was mind collapsing in on itself but i I felt like there's too much other things going on he still seems sane he still seems rational and or he seems paranoid but literally he just seems right he seems justifiably i think um Um, but i tend to well i don't want to say where i lean because i'll get the answers eventually and i actually haven't made up my mind yet as far as how to interpret the last couple episodes so it's just going to be fun to discuss it with you anyway everyone thanks for listening and we will be back next week um if you'd like to know more about us you can reach out to us on twitter at okashina podcast uh we can also go to our um orange groves podcast network to help support us through our patreon that's patreon.com slash the orange groves anyway okashiku ikoyo nikoyo okashiku ikoyo right okashiku ikoyo